Are we good? Oh, I would like to formally welcome you to the Soul Company kickoff. My name is Drake. Good to meet you. So, Jesus, John 6, if you guys didn't hear, page 520. Okay, Jesus just got do, done knocking out a couple miracles. So he just got done feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread, two fish. And I was trying to figure out, to get an idea, of, okay, what does 5,000 people look like? I have no idea. And so out of curiosity, I just looked up seating capacity of O'Shaughnessy Stadium at St. Thomas. Maximum capacity, 5,000 people. So if you imagine O'Shaughnessy Stadium being packed out to the brim, Jesus felt, fed a ton of hungry people, probably get into that hangry state, with five loaves of bread and two fish. And so if that wasn't enough, the disciples decided to go across the sea, and Jesus was like, hey, I'll wait a little bit. I'll meet you over there. And then he decides to take the sea by foot, walk across the entire sea, make it to the other side. And so what's happening right now is that these people, the men on the other side, are basically trying to piece it together. Like, okay, there was... One boat that took these disciples over. Jesus wasn't in that boat. Jesus is now here. What happened? And so they're putting together that Jesus had done an amazing miracle. And so we can continue on in verse 25 through 27. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Okay, so the first point that I want you guys to know tonight is that this world will not satisfy your soul. And so right away, these men come searching for Jesus, and Jesus calls them out immediately. He's like, I know all you're doing is looking for food because you're hungry again. Like, yeah, I gave you some great food the other day, and now here you are again, and you're just coming to me because you act like you know what you need, and you're just trying to get that from me. But I am the one that you truly need. And then he just tells them, don't live for food that's perishing. And he's using this idea of food because they're so fixed on food, but what he is talking about is that don't live for this world because it is perishing. It is fading away. In the same way that you ate food yesterday and find yourself hungry again today, so this world will leave you hungry for more constantly wanting more and more and never having enough, there will be a day that everything in this world will fade away, that everything in this world will perish, and it is a terrible thing for us to put our hope in. But the issue is, is that we do this all the time. Think about your life for a second. What causes you to do the things that you do? Like, what, what brought you to college? What made you decide what major you wanted to go after? What has caused you to form the future for yourself that you have created in your mind? The reality is that we all want our life to matter. 
We want there to be a significance to our story, and so that drives us to pursue the things that we pursue, whether it's a career, a relationship, a status of popularity, or you want to travel the world and post as many pictures of all the great places that you've been, we want our story to have significance. What is it for you? What is the thing that you and your mind are like, if I had this thing, then my life would matter? And when we reach that point of our lives finally mattering, we think that we will be satisfied. But what happens when you reach the great things that you are planning to center your life around and you realize that it did not fulfill your soul like you thought? But it left you empty and craving for more. And so that's why Jesus is telling us here not to strive after this world because it will leave you empty. It will not satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. This world will promise you purpose. This world will promise you a joyful life, but in reality, what it will do is it will constantly take more and more from you and destroy your soul in the process. Like salt water in the ocean, it has the appearance of refreshment, but then when we drink of it, our mouths become even more thirsty than before. This world leaves us wanting more and more And so Jesus sets our eyes on eternity and says, live for the things that will actually satisfy your soul. Live for things that will never perish away. Spend your years, spend your college years running hard after eternity because it will actually satisfy your soul. A famous theologian, been dead for a while now, his name is C.S. Lewis, he said this quote that I just love a ton. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and, and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased and mesmerized by what this world offers that we miss out on what Jesus has in store for us for all of eternity. The call for us is to strive for things that will not just satisfy us for a little while, for these next couple years of your life or for the rest of your life, but things that will actually satisfy your soul for eternity. And so Jesus is gonna continue on to tell us a little bit more, but now he's going to show us something about himself. So let's look back at chapter six, verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them the bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never thirst, and whoever believes in me shall never hunger. We'll just swap swap those around. The next point is that Jesus is Lord. And I love right away, like these dudes are saying, what sign can you do? Like they're confronting Jesus and like, if I'm gonna believe who you say you are, what sign do you have? And I don't know about you guys, but this dude just fed 5,000 people and then trotted across the sea by foot. I think I would listen to what this dude has to say, but these guys are like, hey Jesus, show us something else. What do you have? And I love Jesus' response because he does not even say like, hey, look at all the things I just did. And he doesn't whip out another miracle because he could have done it in that moment. No, what he does is he, he points them to the authority that God the Father had given him. That God had actually established him as Lord and the one who made the heavens, the one who put the stars in their place, the one who gave the promise to their fathers that they're talking about, he's the one that sent me to you. It doesn't matter whether you see me as fit to be your Lord, the Father has established me to be your Lord. And now I think of my own life, where like, how many times do I say things in a similar way? Like, Jesus, if you answer this prayer, I will do anything for you. I remember growing up, this is really sad, but I remember playing NCAA football one time, and I was losing bad in a a game to go to the championship. And I remember, Jesus, if you let me win this game, I will give my life to you. But on a real note, we're like, Jesus, if you answer this prayer, I will give you my life. But how foolish of me to give stipulations to Jesus to be someone who he already is. And what does the text say that Jesus is doing as the Lord? It says that he's coming to the world to bring life. He wants to bring life to this dark world. And even in John 10, it says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That is what the world is offering to you. But Jesus came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus saw the brokenness that was in this world, and he said, I want them to have life and to experience it in me. I want to bring a life that will actually satisfy these people in a way that this world never could, because Jesus is the source of life. So imagine with me, why do you think charities, when they go to third world countries, why do they build a well in that country rather than just dropping off a 24-pack of Dasani and saying, all right, you good? Like, why would they do that? They would run out of that pack of water in a day. That would be ridiculous. No, you build a well so you get to the source of water so that these people have an endless supply of water coming to them. 
And what Jesus is saying is that I am the endless supply of life, and I want to give it freely to you. Don't waste your time on things that will run out, things that will perish, things that will not leave you satisfied, because I can satisfy your soul in a way that nothing else in this world can. And I I wanted to address something, because I feel like a lot of us have a skewed idea of what following Jesus is. Because a lot of us are like, okay, to be a Christian, I just have to wear some good clothes. I have to be a nicer person. Or to be a Christian, I have to stop doing these different things. And I have to kind of leave some fun things behind. It's actually a constraint to my joy to follow these rules. But I want to ask you, how can that be true when Jesus is the source of joy in life himself? where in reality, following Christ is not a constraint to our joy, but actually the freedom to now pursue it to its fullest extent. To, f- to pursue Jesus, who has the endless supply of life for us to run after. But the reality is we don't believe this. There's a brokenness in our heart that the Bible calls sin that has actually separated us from God. And when we were separated from the presence of God, we are, ex- we are separated from experiencing the life that he has to give us. And since we are so broken and full of flaws, we are not worthy to be in his presence because he is perfect in every single way. And since we are not in the presence of God to experience true life where it can only be found, we are left seeking after lesser joys. And it leaves us in a perpetual state of longing for more and more for the rest of eternity. So our last point is just a simple question. How do we then experience life with God? And you might ask yourself the same question as these men in the text. Maybe not in the same way of what must we do to do the works of God, but like how do I be a good Christian? What do I need to do in my life? What do I need to get rid of in order to be right with God? What rules do I have to follow? Or some of you might even be looking at your life and just thinking, there's no way that I can be in the presence of God. Like there's so much brokenness, there's so much sin in my past, but there's no way that I could be brought into his presence. I don't even want to address that question because I am too far off to be worthy to be with God. So Jesus then gives his answer in verse 37. Let's look back at the text. It says that all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that anyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Day, Jesus says, All you need to do is to believe in me. If you believe in me, you will experience life no matter how flawed you are, no matter how broken you think your past is. Jesus says, I will welcome you into that life. 
And we just have to ask ourselves, how could he do that? Why is he able to welcome such broken people into his presence? Our sin, our brokenness has to be dealt with. So the reality is that Jesus is able to bring life to us because he wrote a story in such a way that he would be the one to suffer and experience death so that we didn't have to. Jesus lived a completely perfect life. And for him, the result of living a perfect life was to be beaten and killed by being crucified on a cross. And then he experienced the full wrath of his father on that cross for our sin. He paid the penalty that we should have paid ourselves. Like that wrath was meant for us because we ran away from God and yet Jesus said, I will take that upon myself so that you don't have to. And then he died and was buried and then three days later rose from the grave victorious over Satan, sin, and death and he now gifts us his perfection. He died the death that we deserved taking our penalty, and he gifts us the reward that he earned himself. That is how we are able to experience life with God. And Jesus offers this freely to us with one requirement. He says that we look to him as the savior of our life. That we confess that, yeah, I'm a broken person. I try with everything I can to put on the perfect front for other people, but I know deep down in my heart that there's a lot of brokenness. Jesus, I'm a broken person. I need you. I surrender my life to you. And that is it. That's the free gift of God's grace. And he is holding it out for us and saying, come, come. Receive the gift that I have already earned for you. You don't have to live up to all the rules. You don't have to be this perfect person. You just come and be a recipient of my grace, and I will be your savior, and I will offer you the life that you so long for. And I will give you life and give it to you abundantly. So guys, Christianity is not a list of rules of, okay, if you're gonna start doing these things, start living this way. Christianity is not maybe a way of life that I should incorporate into my life when I start to settle down. Down the road, after college, when I have a family, when I have kids, and when I want to raise good moral kids, then I will begin going to church. Now, guys, Christianity is an invitation to true life. And why would you wait another day to receive that invitation to be brought into the life that Jesus has offered to everyone in this room? Jesus is just saying, come to me. I have already bought you with my blood. Would you just come and receive the gift that I've earned for you? Guys, C.S. Lewis has another quote that I love that he says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world could satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That if I can find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical conclusion is that I was made for another world. And this is exactly the tension 
that this passage is dealing with. The joy of the gospel is that Jesus went to incredible lengths in order for us to deserve death, in order for us who are broken to be brought into this life that he speaks about for eternity and to begin pursuing a life that will actually satisfy our souls. And all Jesus says is to come to him and receive the gift that he has already earned for us. And he will give you life and give it abundantly. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you as broken people who need you desperately. God, I know myself, there is so much brokenness, there's so much flaw in my heart that I, God, I'm not worthy to come before you. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I'm not worthy to even pray to you right now to even lift my hands and worship of you. But God, what an amazing story that you have wrote, that you chose to be the person who would suffer the most of anyone in history so that others would be brought into your family. And God, you hand that invitation out to us freely. God, will we be a people that are not prideful and turn away from it, but that we actually humble ourselves and see that we are broken and that we need our Savior. We need you to be Lord over our life because we do a terrible job at it. We don't know what's best for us. We don't know what would give us satisfaction in this life, and yet you wired our hearts in such a way, and you've offered us a way back to that. And so, Jesus, would we come to you? Would we accept that invitation? Would we celebrate you? Because Jesus, you deserve the praise. You deserve the glory for what you've done on our behalf. So God, help us to run to you right now. Help us to pray to you because we can now, because you've welcomed us into your presence. Help us to worship you because you are worthy of our praise. Amen.